Romans chapter 4. We're going to be in Romans chapter 4 this morning. This has been a, a, a fun series for me. I, I hope you've enjoyed it as well. We've kind of been going through really big, fancy words, gospel words. Uh, we've, talked about, uh, 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 we've talked about wrath. We've talked about uh, justification. We've talked about imputation. And um, uh, we've talked about propitiation, all these different things. And, and uh, we had a little controversy in the office because when I was first uh, uh, giving Jesse and Paul the, the layout for the sermon series, this week we were going to be studying the word imputation. And Jesse, who, if you don't know, is our church secretary, said, you made that word up. That is not a real word. And you might have felt like that the whole series, but I guarantee that this is a real word. Imputation is a real word, and we're going to talk about it. It's, in fact, a very important word, a very important uh, gospel truth that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to open up uh, this morning with a word of prayer, and then we're going to read uh, Romans chapter one, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. So would you pray with me? Lord, we come with humility and awe to your holy word. We come in humility and awe before your holiness. And uh, in our unrighteousness, Lord, we confess our sins. Uh, And in your um, grace and in hope of your love, we offer to you our faith. We pray that you will open our eyes and our hearts our minds and our spirits to your word, that it would cut deeply, that it would enliven, that it would convict, that it would change us and make us more like your son. It is in his name and through the power of the spirit that we pray, amen. Romans chapter four, verses one through eight. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Biologically, we might say today. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Because what does the scripture say? And here he quotes from Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him... Who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, is reckoned, is imputed, use any of those words, as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed, happy are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man or woman against whom the Lord does not count his sin. Now, if you are new to Christianity or new to the church or new to the Bible, that's okay. The word Abraham probably, or the name Abraham, probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you, and that's all right. Uh, Abraham is a character, a figure, uh, one of our founding fathers, we might say, of the faith. And his story is found all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 25. Abraham is a central figure and a very important figure because he is the first one that God comes to and says, I want to have a special and exclusive relationship with you. I am going to be your God, and you and all of your children after you are going to be my people. I am going to covenant with you. 
much like we might think of a, of a marriage co- covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. Now, Paul latches on to this story and quotes directly from Genesis chapter 15, the promise or the covenant, the, the moment where God comes and says to Abraham, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. God does this with Abraham three times. He does it in chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 18. But it's chapter 15 from which Paul speaks. And I wanted to put that up so that we could kind of look at it together because I think it matters. And this is God, and he speaks to Abram. Abraham, he changes his name later on to Abraham, so don't let the two names confuse you. Abram is the same person as Abraham. His name just hasn't been changed yet. Fear not, God says to Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless. For you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household, somebody not my son, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man, this sort of a servant, this this other member of his household, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside, brings Abraham outside, and he, he, he shows him all the stars. He says, look up, look toward the heavens, number the stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And here's the quote that Paul has, uh, latches on to. And he, Abraham, believed God, and God did what? He counted it, he reckoned it, he imputed it, he gave it. To Abraham as righteousness. This is a very good deal on Abram's part. Do you notice the first blessing? What's the first blessing? I heard shield. Any other guesses? Because you're wrong. <laughs> Fear not. Right? Fear not. Man, is there some things to be afraid of this morning? Did you turn on the news? Right? There's a lot to be afraid of. The politicians are insane, and everyone who's got a gun is insane. And I just sometimes I think everyone else is just insane. Like there's just craziness across the board. You're looking at your own health, you're looking at your own situation, you might be looking at your family, you might be looking at your job. Listen, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It might be doom. It very well could be doom. And what does God say to Abraham? He says, Fear. Do not be afraid. Why? Because you're really strong? Because you're really smart? Because your beard is awesome and you're really pretty? No. Why? Because I am your shield. I am the one who protects. I am the one who guides. I am the one who watches over you. I am your shield. And so you are able to do something, Abraham, that everyone else around you is completely unable to do. You don't have to fear that's a very great promise even like setting everything aside everything else that God wants to give to Abram that's an incredible gift don't be afraid but then he takes him outside and he says look at the stars he says count them if you can and Abram says I can't and he says that's how many your children are going to be and Sarah's like <gasps> no, I'm just... so we had this really funny situation we, we found out that it was a girl and we were both we didn't 
quite realize this, but we were both hoping, I think it was, was a boy, you know, because we have Emery, and that's plenty of girl. If you know Emery, that's a lot of girl. And, uh, and so we sit down in the car, and Laura sits down, and we close the doors, and we're about to drive away from the doctor's office. And uh, Laura sighs, and she goes, well, it's, it's a girl. And I said, I guess you've got to have another one. And she goes, So God is not telling Abraham that Sarah is going to have that many children. Simply that, right, there is going to be a continuation of his line that will expand beyond his wildest dreams. That's what God is saying to Abraham here. God in his own love and in his own will and in his own mercy and in his own grace comes to Abraham. And that's, that's the word for all of this. It is this word grace. Grace marvelous, marvelous grace. Paul uh, appeals and gives a little illustration that we read there from chapter 4. He says, now consider somebody who works at a job. You go to work, and you do your work for the 40 hours or whatever a week, and your boss, at the end of the week, owes you money. Can I get a witness, right? (laughs) He owes you money. But... If your grandma, knowing that you've been a turd all year long, gives you $50 as a Christmas gift, what is that? Liam. (laughs) Liam's like the nicest kid in the world. That's why I'm picking on him. That's grace, right? That's a gift. That's something somebody gave to you. And Paul says what? We have been reckoned righteous not because we were, not because we have done all of the right things. Because if you looked at your life recently, you probably have to be honest enough to say, no, I haven't done all of those right things. Rather, it was reckoned to you by grace. We aren't people that work and get a paycheck. We are rather people who have been reckoned righteous because of God's great, great grace. And he, he brings up in uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, this, this concern, the central concern, well then what about sin? We talked about sin for the past, uh, several times over the past few weeks, and uh, if you weren't there w- with us, you can go online and check, on the, check the website and listen to the sermons. But for now, let's just say sin is the thing that gets between us and God. It's the thing that breaks our relationship. It's like me forgetting Laura's birthday, which I did um, un- until Facebook reminded me Thursday morning. But I, I, I did okay, though. I did okay. Grand Traverse Pie Company covers over a multitude of sins, just, just so everyone knows this. This is a free bit of advice. Not in the Bible, but just free bit of advice. Um, right? so, so there could be a problem with our relationship, right? The sin gets between our relationship with God. God is a holy and just God. We talked about this at length last week. And he cannot have relationship. He cannot be in the presence of, because of his justice, because of his righteousness, because of his moral purity. And so sin gets between us and God. And what does Paul say about that? He says, blessed, blessed is the man or woman to whom God does not count, does not realize, does not reckon, does not impute his wrongs, but rather his sins are washed away as we've talked about it. And this is 
always, always by grace. Certainly something new has happened in Jesus Christ. But Paul appeals to Abraham for us to recognize that before Moses got the law, before all 316 of those laws were given to all of the Israelites and say, Here, here's how you actually live according to my way. Before all of that, God comes through grace and says, Abraham, do you trust me? And God says, I count that as righteousness. Now let me apply that to our lives for just a moment. Let me apply that to our lives for just a moment. One of the things that you can notice if you go back and you read Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 25 and the stories about Abraham, you'll realize that he's a little bit of a bumbler. Not, not always the brightest bulb. Makes a lot of mistakes. God comes to him when he's old. And, and to be fair, God comes to him when he's old and says, you're going you're gonna to have a son and, and, and you're going to have like the stars, like some stars in the sky. And Abram says, well, last time I checked, I was 80. Last time I checked, my wife was, was getting up there too. And there just comes a point where that ship has sailed, right? And so it's not like God comes to him with something really easy to believe. <laughs> he comes with a whopper. And so Abraham, though, Abraham does what? He trusts God. And so what does he do? He says, well, I'll bring Lot along because he's my nephew. And, and that's how God will continue my line. Well, Lot ends up to be not so bright himself. And there's all kinds of issues there. And so that doesn't work out. And so Sarah comes up with her own idea. Well, why don't I just give you my, my handmaid, my slave, Hagar, and you marry her and you have a child. And, and we'll continue on the line through that way. And that causes no end of mischief. And looking back on these, these, these plans, these machinations that uh, Abraham has, we could say those are really bad ideas. They were bad plans. They weren't good at all. And yet that is how things got done in the Middle East in those times. If you didn't have a child, but you had a lot of property and you needed to pass that on to somebody and you wanted your line to continue on, you pass it on to your nearest relative. If that didn't work out, then what did you do? You took a second wife and you had children that way. So Abraham is looking at the world. He's looking at all of the people around him. And he says, this is how we solve problems. I believe you, God. I know that you are true and trustworthy. And I just, I happen to know how you're going to get this done. Now we, with all of our looking back on history, can say, well, that's not at all how God was going to get it done. God was actually just going to do what he said he was going to do. You, Abraham, contrary to everything you think, are going to have a child. And yet, he makes mistakes. Why does he make mistakes? Because Abraham wants to help. And I can't help but think of my sweet Emery, six years old, wants to help, making dinner, wants to help, doing dishes, wants to help. And that kid can't help. Just no help at all. I don't know if you've ever had a six-year-old try to help you make dinner, but they are no help. And the great irony, the great, the great irony of parenthood is that at six years old, they really want to help. But at 16, no help in sight. God has a cruel sense of humor, right? This is just when they're actually functionally able to do things, no longer is the interest there. But Emery really wants to help. And she's, you know, and sometimes we sort of, yeah, okay, okay, you know, come and help me do dishes. And then about three minutes and I realize this was a bad idea. Water's everywhere. It's just, you know. And there comes a moment where I just want, I just want to say, you know what? I wish I wasn't helping. Dishes are terrible. They're the worst thing ever. I hate doing dishes. I don't want to be doing these. Go be a kid. Go play. Go imagine. Go ride 
you know, dragons in the backyard. Like, do go have fun. I want to give you a gift of grace. I want to make you dinner. I want to do these dishes. Go have fun. Go enjoy life. Sometimes we want to help God. And God wants to give a gift. He wants to offer grace. And we want to get in the mix. And usually we end up messing it up. Abraham has this moment of tremendous grace, greater grace really in some, in some aspects than any of us unless you've heard the voice of God come to you and say, this is my promise to you. To you, Abraham is something greater than, than most of us have ever experienced. God comes to him and he says, I'm going to do this for you. And Abraham says, cool, let me get my, let me get my nephew. God says, no, no. He says, oh, cool, how about, I, how about I marry Hagar over here? No, 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 just stop, okay? Stop helping. Stop trying. Stop working. Stop, stop, stop. Stop. And let me do what only I can do. And that's save you. And sometimes I think church people really need to hear that. Really need to hear that. Not only because we are trying so hard, but once you start trying really hard, it starts ticking you off that other people aren't trying so hard. And so not only are we bearing weights we're not meant to bear, but we begin to put weights on other people they're not meant to bear either. And we work so hard and strive so hard, and Jesus says what? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Laboring after grace, laboring after forgiveness, laboring to be perfect. You who are weighted down with sin and with shame and with guilt and with all of the stuff of the past and all the stuff that people have said to you and all of the terrible childhood memories and all of the things that you have on you, I tell you this, come to me. Why? Because I have something no amount of work and no amount of effort can ever give you. I have and in me, you will find rest for your souls. That's a good word, isn't it? That's a good word. Now, how does this functionally happen? How does God make this amazing good news actually happen? It is through that big, fancy $10 word, imputation. And he goes over that. I'm going to push us forward uh, in, through Romans chapter 4 to the end of the chapter, to verses 20 through 24. And through the, 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 the chunk that we're not reading, this is um, him developing more of his argument, talking about Abraham. Um, and so uh, please um, go home and, and read that and follow, follow that. But I want to jump ahead for the sake of time this morning, looking at verses 20 through 24. And you'll notice again, he's going to quote the same passage that we're talking about here. No unbelief, he says in verse 20, made him, he's referring to Abraham, waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith. And God, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced, and here is sort of, here's maybe one of the best definitions of faith, fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. This is why his faith was counted, reckoned, imputed to him as righteousness 
But the words, it was counted to him, it was reckoned to him, it was imputed to him, were not written for him only, but as a foreshadow. Like this, is, this is meant for us to see in Christ, because Christ is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament, right? So what happens back here is not just written for Abraham and all of his heirs, but rather for us, that we might see a greater and more glorious promise in Jesus Christ our Lord. It was written for us. And it will be counted to us who believe in God, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That is the definition of that big fancy word, imputation. He used this, uh, this uh, illustration before. You work for a week, and at the end of the week, you get a paycheck because your works, they, they, they were, that because of your work, it was, it was owed you. That's, that's what your boss owes you. Imagine you've never worked at the company, and they send you a check. Woo! Right? That's the kind of idea here. I, we might take that too far, but just, just that, that's kind of the idea that... that that this is something that God has gifted. God looks at Abraham and he says, I am going to call you righteous, just, moral. Uh, remember we talked about the, the complexity, the full orb nature of the righteousness of God. And if you weren't with us last week, that's a phrase that Paul uses quite liberally through Romans and Galatians. That God is of his own nature, of his core righteous. And that that has reference to both fairness, to justice, but also to moral purity and moral action, doing what is Right, those things all kind of coalesce in God himself. And God says, all of my holiness, all of my righteousness, all of my fear, all that you might include when you say the righteousness of God, I am going to hand that off. I am going to give that to you, Abraham, because you believed. But Paul says, what about us? This was written for us. Because Abraham trusted in God and it was counted to him, imputed to him as righteousness, so for us it will be counted, it will be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, B.B. Warfield calls this an alien righteousness. That is, a righteousness, and and I don't think he meant alien like science fiction alien because he was before all that stuff, but I think of alien, science fiction alien. That it is so other, it is so, God's, because you hear this all the time, how many times have you ever talked, maybe talked, maybe those of you are Christians here and done some witnessing, you've talked with somebody about God and they say, well, I'm a good person, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. But your goodness is so, so small as to be counted as nothing when compared with the goodness and righteousness of God. And so what we need then is not our version of goodness, which sort of is usually self-serving, isn't it? But we need the righteousness of God, which is pure pure holiness in 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 its highest, highest height. And we need that to be to be attributed, to be given, to be handed off to us. Remember um, our passage from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we looked at this last week. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. He was the pure, spotless Lamb of God so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see this this amazing trade-off? Our sin goes upon Jesus and Jesus' righteousness comes to us. 
Now track with me for just a moment of the argument that Paul has made so far, the, the, the big words that we've been talking about. The wrath of God is being revealed because of sin. It isn't that God is a God of wrath, like a core characteristic is like God's walking around ticked off all the time just waiting to like knock you into non-existence, right? But rather, God is just at his core, and his justice evokes a reaction when he sees injustice. His holiness evokes a reaction when he sees unholiness and the way that we could quantify, the only word that we could kind of give the weight of that judgment is the word wrath. That is the response of God against sin. And yet God also wants to be the justifier. And so Jesus steps in and becomes becomes the imputation. He is the one that takes the wrath so that, what, we might be justified before God, so that God could look at us and say, not guilty. But how is that going to transpire? It's going to happen because the righteousness of Jesus is going to be transferred to us. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of the God who takes away the sin of the world. This passage here talks about Jesus taking on our sin. Now, I, I want to say something that will shock you. I mean, just blow your mind away, I'm sure. Uh, I was baptized when I was seven. So if we go all the way back to when I was seven, between now and seven, I've committed maybe two sins. I'm not a perfect guy. Like, it's just not a perfect guy. Now, when I was, this, this moment for me was sort of all happened together. I know some people, immersion happens later, but, but it all happened at one time where I, I confessed, I believed, I repented, I was immersed for the forgiveness of my sins, and I was called to walk in a newness of life. In that moment, all of my sins sort of washed away. But what happens after that? Because, you know, I got one or two more sins that I'm going to do between then and between now. What about those things? What, what happens when I make mistakes? Does God see me now as a sinner and I need to be like rebaptized or whatever? Something have to happen there? No, 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 no. Galatians tells us this. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have now clothed yourself with Christ. So, if you can imagine sin as sort of a dirty robe, like dirty clothes, like you're just, you're a filthy, you're a dirty, stinky kid before God. And God cleans you up. And he clothes you, though, not with a righteousness that is your own, but rather with a righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. So that when he looks at you, he can say to you, you are saints. You ever notice that? Every time there's a letter in the New Testament, it is written to saints, and if you read those letters, you might say, those people are not saints. Because Paul's saying, I have nothing good to say about you in this. And yet, what did he start with? You're saints. Why? Because you're saints? No, because God calls you saints, even though you don't deserve it. Because what he sees in you is not a righteousness that comes from you, but a righteousness that has been imputed, that has been given to you because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Because he took our sin, and we were given his righteousness. So we can have, he says in chapter 5, peace with God. Peace with God. Now, there are many Christians 
who commit sin. Um, and they think, it's all over. <laughs> I've done it. I've gone too far. It's over. It's over. And that panic feeling, that, 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 that it's over feeling, is the Holy Spirit bearing witness to you that it's not. That's that moment that says, no, it's not over, and that's why the conviction has come. And that is how we can know that we have peace with God. Because it is not a peace that is done because of our doing. It is a peace that is done because of the unmerited favor of Jesus Christ. And so what can we do this morning, church? We can have hope. We can have confidence. We can have assurance. We can have peace. We can accomplish that very first promise handed off to Abraham. Fear not. For fear has to do with punishment, we read in 1 John. But punishment has been something that's already been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. And if our faith is firmly set in Jesus Christ, our Lord, then we are a people who do not fear. And we are a people who are at peace. And we are a people who are called saints because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord, to us, that we might be called the righteousness of God. Now, as I alluded to, I have been a Christian for some time, um, taking my faith very seriously since my mid-teens, um, really coming to faith there, and I... I committed three sins because I lied to you just a little bit ago. <laughs> I've committed a lot of sins. And looking at me, none of you should ever say, Jordan, yeah, he's the righteousness of God. No, 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 no. But praise be to God, when he looks at me, he doesn't see Jordan. He sees a righteousness that was purchased by the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. I, uh, there's a man, um, and I, man, I, I, sometimes I forget what stories I told and what stories I don't. I shouldn't have that problem at this age, but it's starting to happen. There's a man, and he was one of the best Christian men I, I, have, I have ever known. And he was dying of cancer, and he said to me several times, he said to me, I should have done more for God. I should have done more for God. And I get that because I think, you know, standing here now, if I were to really evaluate my life, like, have I used every single moment of my, of my life to love God with all my heart, my, all my strength, all my soul, all my mind? Have I loved my neighbor as myself? No, I haven't done that. So should I do more for God? Absolutely. Can I do more for God? Absolutely. But what broke my heart is that this caused great fear for him. Like there was, this, there was this sense of I am going to God and I haven't done enough. And I did my best to, to, to share with Del, to say with him, listen, yeah, you haven't. And, and you never would have. There's a story Jesus tells in Matthew chapter um, 22 about this, this great king. I mean, he, he, king... Of, of just innumerable territories and his son is getting married 
And so he sends letters to all of his subjects, his, his lords and, and ladies, you know, all the people who are like really important. And he says, my son's getting married and I want you to come and I want you to be a part of this marriage. And they say, nah, kind of busy, got things to do. Weddings are boring anyway. Can I, that's, I mean, that's just true. Feasts, not so much. The feasts I can get into, but. And so the, the king is furious. I mean, the king's, the king's outraged and he says, well, fine then. But my son is going to have a party. And there are going to be people, and there are going to be tons of people, and we are going to feast, and we are going to rejoice. There is going to be a celebration, the likes of which no one has seen before, and no one will see again. So go into the streets, he tells his servants. Find the poor, find the lame, find the beggars, find the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. Find the people who are burdened with alcoholism, the people who are broken by the past. Find all the people who don't deserve to be in here and you bring them in and you wash them. And you put clothes on them. And you bring them to the table that they might feast. And that's you. And that's me. Because Jesus Christ is going to come into his inheritance. He is going to take the new heavens and the new earth. He is going to take the kingdom of God. And there is going to be a party the likes of which no one has ever seen before. And no one will ever see again. There is going to be a great wedding feast of the lamb with his kingdom. And God has called you to come to the party. He's called you to come to the party. And all of the things that we do and all the commandments that we read, these commandments that call us to love our enemies, why do we love our enemies? So that God will love us? No! God already loves you. He's already paid the price for your sin. He's already brought you into a relationship. You who were an enemy with him have been brought into a relationship with him. And now that you see the immensity of who God is, you can now, as a gift of grace, love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Bless those who persecute you and despitefully use you. It isn't for work's sake and for earning God's love that we do the things that we do. We do all those things because God's already done everything. And he has offered to us a gift immeasurable, innumerable, beyond all imagination. And much like a six-year-old trying to help with the dishes, he says, go play. Go enjoy the gift that I have given you. Experience the grace of God. And that is, if you forget these words, and I'm, I'm suspecting if I do a pop quiz at the end of this series, you will have forgotten some of these words. But I want you to grab a hold of and keep this. Everything that you have received from God is a grace, is a gift. And you ought to be happy about it. Rejoicing in it, living in it, shouting about it, sharing about it, because it is the greatest gift that has ever been given. Paul says in, in, in Hebrews that, that the whole world up to this point has been waiting for something, and now the thing hidden for ages has been revealed to you. So take it out and share it. This morning, as we bring it all to a conclusion, we still got water in the tub. If today is your day to experience the grace of salvation, come on forward. We'll pray with you. We'll cry with you. We'll baptize you if that's what needs to be done. Don't walk away here today without experiencing the grace of God. We'll have an elder down front to pray with you if you just have other needs. But don't leave today without experiencing the grace and unmerited favor of God.
Let's stand as we sing.